Okay, now we're recording. Okay. All right. Hi, Madeline. Hi, Julia. Well, how are you today? I'm doing well. It's so good to see you, and I'm super excited about what we're doing. So uh, we're going to just talk a little bit about what this is. I guess Mm -hmm. I'll talk. So, okay, so this is Couch of Characters. This is our first podcast together. Yes. And what we're going to do is we are going to, both of us are trained marriage and family Mm -hmm. therapists, so we've received master's degrees and are therapists and have worked with in mental health for a while. Um, but something that I thought would be really fun would be to take our skills as a, as marriage and family therapists and then apply them to television, um, characters, possibly movies and even books. So this is couch of characters, the name of our podcast. Yes. And through the course of our podcast, we'll be using marriage and family therapy theories and Mm -hmm. applying them to characters. Um, and we're, we're going to start today with, this is our first episode called Hannibal versus Dexter. Um, to keep in mind on Couch of Characters, um, we are two licensed therapists. Um, we're just going to analyze movie, television, and book characters, and this is for entertainment purposes only. Yes. Um, no advice or interventions or information should be applied or attempted in your own life. Um, and it's not meant to replace or supplement professional help. And any information shared in this podcast could be harmful should you apply it to yourself, friends, family members, or people you interact with interact with in your life um it's it's just entertainment so please listen please enjoy and then please comment later yes so we have we'll give all of our social media um after the podcast we're really excited to hear from people and when i was talking to my coworkers about what what would be the first characters we do um the list of television characters that came up were all serial killers interestingly enough or um what people like to call uh probably which i think we'll discuss later is uh people with antisocial personality disorder, mm-hmm. psychopaths, and sociopaths, yes. and which is confusing. Yeah. So yeah. we decided to go with um, Dexter, because mm-hmm. he actually, I think, was the number one person, actually, to be very clear, Dexter Morgan was the number one mm-hmm. uh, person that came up. And then I thought, because Hannibal is currently on NBC right now, uh, found out it just got canceled, yes. um, <laughs> Is it would be nice to compare the two. So mm-hmm. that's what we're going to do today. Yeah. Um, so let's do you want to share a little bit more about yourself, Madeline? Sure. So my, my name is Madeline. Um, I'm a practicing marriage and family therapist in the Madison area. Mm-hmm. Um, I use non-judgmental therapy, so that tends to make me really empathic towards the Dexters and the Hannibals. Um, but I also really like to dispel uh, therapeutic myths and to analyze people's functioning um, as part of my practice. So um, some of what we'll say will be, you know, our love for these wonderful yes. characters. Mm-hmm. And other times we'll sort of call them out. Yes. Um, and we'll call out with our actions because um, that's what you do in family therapy. It is what you do in family therapy. And I think um, I'm really excited, Madeline, to have you on the show because I've known you in a variety of ways. And I just think you're one of the most brilliant therapists that I know. So I'm really oh, happy Julia. to have you um, have your mind on this show, because I think part of what's going to be fun about this is that really that uh, one is that mental health is not something to be ashamed of or receiving treatment isn't something to be ashamed of. And that I think we people can actually our audience are listeners can learn a little bit more about themselves um, in terms of understanding what the techniques are. Hopefully not that they're serial killers. Um, but right. if that's the case, then that's also informative. Yes, it is. And then, <laughs> yeah, and they can get professional help and they have can. a little empathy for themselves. That's the right. Yeah. Um, and one other thing I would say is I think as well, I'm also where we have a lot in common is also mm-hmm. that level of empathy. Yes. Um, yeah. I actually work now as a producer, mm-hmm. um, having been a therapist for approximately 10 to 12 years and just needing to take a break from that and then realizing how much one I missed all of my coworkers very very much um, and as well as really missing um, doing therapy if it Mm -hmm. wasn't for me so emotionally 
troubling or so to speak. So, yeah. And Julia is really responsible for um, countless careers in the therapy field (laughs) in the Madison area. Um, She really raises her therapy students as her kids. Yes. Pretty amazing. That's true. So. So it's yes. great to have you producing now so we can share yes. our information. Yes. So this is great. So why don't we... Yeah. Um, so, oh, we could talk a little bit about the show. Yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about the okay. format of the show? So for the format, we'll kind of start um, with with introducing our characters. We'll pick a theory. Today we really wanted to talk about um, Murray Bowen's theory of intergenerational family therapy. And we'll focus sort of on eight major components of Bowen and talk about them in the context of Dexter and Hannibal. But we also like to share some background information about the characters that we're talking about um, from various media sort of resources and then also our own insights. Um, and then in the future, we will have a famous, locally famous therapist um, <laughs> on our show in the Madison area um, from all from academia, from private practice, um, working with people across the lifespan, just sharing their ideas on their beloved characters and their theories. Um, we also will read some expert emails. Um, today, it's just Julia and I, but we do have an, an expert we email. We do. Yes, on someone who loves Dexter sent us an email. Who doesn't love Dexter? Yeah. I'll be curious to get feedback because he's, I think, one of our most beloved serial he, killers he on television is. and movies. He is one. He's yes. wonderful. Mm-hmm. And you get to sort of learn. Um, he learns about himself on screen so that you get to experience it with him. Yes. So I think that's an inherent uh, empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when CBS, um, and, and please listeners correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when CBS had aired syndicated versions, mm-hmm. they had to take out the swearing and a lot of the sexual content and the, the bloody content. Yeah. And um, a lot of the complaints from uh, parent groups around the syndication was, was related to how it's so easy to empathize with Dexter mm-hmm. and he's a serial killer. So you're empathizing yeah. with someone who does very dangerous mm-hmm. things. So it's good and it's bad. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's really interesting. Yeah. Do you want to start with Dexter? Sure. Well, we could maybe yeah. we should go back. We've got some themes. So I think we yeah. did some research, obviously, going into this in terms of serial killers. And I've had a chance. I think in one weekend I watched, um, I was watching Hannibal. I was watching True Detective, which is an incredible yes. television, the first season. And then I was also watching The Fall, which is on, um, which is also about a serial killer. So I had a lot of serial killing over a weekend. And one of the things I noticed and in talking to you was that um, there seems to be a theme of orphans becoming serial killers. So at least in this case, we have Dexter as an orphan, Hannibal is an orphan, Paul mm-hmm. Spector from The Fall is an orphan. Yes. And then... I think there was somebody else and the name escapes me, but then we have... But but even on Dexter, so yes. the serial killers that he sort of showcases, um, like Arthur Mitchell, mm-hmm. who's the Trinity killer, another person who was orphaned. So we have really? sort of this dichotomy. You get to pick. You either get to be a superhero yes. or an orphan um, right. serial killer. So those right. are your choices. Exactly. Superhero so, serial killer. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. we then we talked about superheroes because I work with a lot of guys who love uh, superheroes. And so mm-hmm. we've got Spider-Man and Superman and Batman, and Batman. are yeah. all orphans. And some therapists have said that Batman would have mm-hmm. um, an antisocial personality disorder if he were diagnosed. <laughs> so that's so it's interesting um, that these characters that are really disconnected from mm-hmm. what we think of as humanity, we attach right. to them. And is that partially because writers... 
in some ways we feel like these are monsters, so they had to have had this horrible childhood or something really traumatic mm-hmm. has happened, so they couldn't have lived in intact families because what would that mean right. yeah. if that had happened? And and I think they're, um, the writers aren't giving enough credit to the damage an intact family can yes. do. <laughs> so, um, the resiliency, yes. as you've talked about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because um, you can, serial killers are born of many different origins Mm -hmm. um, in the real world, but a lot of times in media, they're they're usually um, portrayed as orphans. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's like a whole nother And we'll talk about, we'll talk about that too. Um, The writers in Psychology Today, I'll get more into that later. They talk about the origins of the sociopath versus the psychopath. Um, and under the heading of antisocial personality mm-hmm. disorder. And they don't match what, what's in media necessarily. Okay. Um, well, I'm so, excited to hear that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Dexter okay. first. Okay. So on IMDb, they talk about Dexter. Um, he be, he's a forensic analyst specializing in blood spatter. He happens to also be a unique serial killer devoted strictly to the murder of other killers. Um, in large part because of his work with Miami Metro's homicide division, um, he's able to come in contact with these criminals so he can sort of feed his impulses and his desires. Um, he prefers to be sterile and surgical mostly um, in his kills mm-hmm. and in the environments that he murders in. Um, and he usually explains to his victims why he's killing them um, or makes them guess, shows them pictures of their victims. And it, it, for the first few seasons, the first three mainly, um, we see a very emotionless Dexter. Um, he, he's very um, into evaluating situations objectively. <coughs> he's very detached. He, he describes himself as having no feeling, um, and he every feeling he gets, he sort of processes through a logical lens mm-hmm. and relies a lot on his kid sister, Deborah to sort of uh, feed him the emotional information when, he, when he's analyzing. Um, so he's born in 1971, and he witnessed the violent murder of his mother, Laura Moser, um, and several other drug addicts. And it was very violent. Yes, very. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And they waited until what season? I, I, I mean, so they started showing bits of it. Yes, I, th- I believe five. I, th- I think like to hash it all out to show yes. everything. But but Dexter knows before Deborah. Right. So I think I think in in the second Six? season, yeah. he um the ice truck killer season, he finds out that that's his brother yep. and and that they were in the storage container yes. covered in blood for mm-hmm. hours with no food, no water, um and he finds out before his sister who finds out I believe in season four okay. and her way of processing it is very different than, mm-hmm. than his. Um, How did they process it? So she needed to come tell him after she thought about it um, and needed needed like an, kind of a, an emotional compulsion to let him know mm-hmm. that she knew and to ask him about it but his reaction was very introverted. He didn't feel the need to, to tell her. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he felt sort of Revealed and disgusting and gross when when uh, he found out she knew. I think he, he believes that the more about his origin that people know, the more the more likely they are to see him as the sociopath uh, or to see the dark passenger that sure. he carries with him. Nice. Yeah. All right. 
Yeah. So that's the dark passenger is the result of, of being, of watching his mother murdered, I, I think with a machete or a chainsaw. It's a chainsaw. chainsaw yes. Um, yes. That's like emblazoned on my brain. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and the desire is ultimately channeled, uh, by his adoptive father, Harry Morgan. Now this is where we're really, we really get into family therapy with Mr. Harry Morgan. Um, so he's the first person to find him on the scene of the crime and he creates a code that Dexter refers to called Harry's code to sort of uh, manage this dark passenger. Mm. In the therapy world, we'd call it a family behavior plan, <laughs> um, and it wouldn't be one we would ever give a family. So, no, <laughs> this would so, not be one we would give a family. No, no. So, um, real, and that's that's just a lot of information from imdb.com. Um, yeah, but when I when I think about the code, um, I've interviewed therapists sort of about Harry's code. I don't know, Julia, what, what do, you, do you think it's a behavior plan? What would you call this code? Well, I think it was a like a for Harry yeah. of being a police officer. It yeah. felt to me like a very narrow scope of a way to deal with a traumatized child. Yes. In like saying, wow, you're you know you're showing the signs of a serial killer. You're killing animals and doing all these things. So let's go ahead and nurture this. Yes. And yeah. channel it as opposed mm -hmm. to saying maybe you need some therapy you know like yeah. again like maybe yes. he needed to be like you know immediately brought mm -hmm. into therapy and of course we can sit and talk about that because we can right but right but instead he kind of takes this like I'm mm -hmm. a cop there's all these horrible things my son is going to become this horrible person yeah, that's his lens yeah, yeah so yeah. let's go ahead and nurture this so he can at least not mm -hmm. immediately end up in prison right right and a lot of times when we write behavior plans uh, for families we talk about their ability to generalize the plan right so what that means is when I when I give a family a behavior plan um, and then we take it away can the family still function can they naturally function mm -hmm. with the tools they learned from the behavior plan the other piece of it is can they apply those strategies to other conflicts um, because as we know the content of a conflict isn't as important as the process mm -hmm. behind how we we resolve it. Yes. So, um, really. So, could you give an example, maybe, of like a good, yeah. like a good behavior plan? Mm -hmm. One, like one. Yeah. Goal. There we go. That's yeah. the word I'm looking so for. So let's talk about um, <coughs> couples therapy when we do family therapy with couples. So um, I, I tend to deal a lot um, with. Well, I would say like middle-aged men um, working on their feelings <laughs> to be sure. very general. Um, so one goal on a behavior plan might be when my wife's face looks upset, I'm going to ask her, can I help you? So that might mm -hmm. be a goal. That sounds really uh, basic, but that, that no, there's really, the idea. Yes. So there's our behavior plan. Um, I'm going to ask you, can I help you when your face looks sad? So if... Um, if I can't generalize that, that means, so my, my, fa my wife's face, I memorize what sad looks like. Um, I ask her if I can help her. I don't know what worried looks like. Yeah. I don't know what I'm pretending to be happy looks like. I can't generalize the skill of asking her, can I help her to any other behavior? That means the behavior plan worked for sad, but I need mm -hmm. to make some edits for the other feelings. Sure. So for Dexter, um, when he wants to kill the plan they set up is if he gets an urge, he's supposed to tell his father over time. His father teaches him to generalize that to, to discovering if someone's actually a killer on his own and figuring out how to kill them without getting caught. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not generalizable to manage all of the conflict that happens on the show. Right. Um, 
So he starts to discover emotions. Um, some people have said he's dissociated for mm-hmm. the first three seasons. He starts to feel things in the fourth season um, when he's when he meets a real psychopath, yes. Arthur Mitchell. Yes. So that's the real psychopath who who really probably doesn't have emotions Mm-mm. beyond power and control. Mm-mm. So he's he and starts is really evil, evil and he's scary. really evil. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't generalize, so he no. can't continue um, to manage his impulses with this person. Yeah. The behavior plan no longer works. Yes. And so that's the issue. Yes. So that's the issue with Harry's code is it doesn't allow him to have adaptive no. long-term skills. No. And like when, when Trinity is introduced, I think part of that is, would that be counter transference? Yeah. That Dexter's experiencing is having like, this is an actual person who understands me because yes. he is me. And like maybe starts feeling some kinship towards a monster right. who should he should not have felt. And right. therein lies Dexter's mm-hmm. change to maybe becoming a little more human. Right. Yeah. And then the other part, um, so as I'm picking apart Harry's code, even, even though it's brilliant, it's a brilliant oh, work of art. Yes. <laughs> um, the other part of it, Julia, that you made me think of is um, it's sort of... The, the fact that he's able to follow this code that avoids the harm of women and children sort of humanizes him yeah. for us. So it's really important to the plot for us to buy into Dexter. But the other part, um, Harry tells him, at first I thought, well, if he can follow a code and it includes no women and children, yep. he's not a sociopath. Come yeah. on. He's just troubled. Right. And then and then it comes out later, Harry says, the reason to do this is um, not, he can't tell Dexter, it's, it's not to avoid hurting people. It's so you can keep killing people. Mm-hmm. So you follow my code so you can keep killing people successfully without Mm -hmm. getting caught um, and without violating my code. So that is more sociopathic. mm, It is. It's interesting that they decided to go that route, though, of like, because so often in television shows, it's always women and children, because honestly, that's what real life is. And so for them to make a conscious choice would have been nice if Mm -hmm. the end of that would have been, don't, because it's... Because it's wrong. It's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to kill these other male killers. <laughs> right. But killing, but, you right. know. Don't kill. Yeah. Don't kill. But, but I wonder, cause is it because Dexter can't learn that yeah. when he's a young kid and they're right. on the boat? Is, it, is that what Harry's thinking? Mm-hmm. Or, so you could look at Harry's code as a way to be resilient and survive this impulse to kill, or you, right. could, or you could look at it as, as a way that really uh, sort of keeps Dexter from it getting does. help. Well, and this, like you said, Harry's code is brilliant in that, I mean, there's some really, really amazing in the narrow scope of his code, behavior modification going on. Yes, yeah. Because <laughs> it's, you're going to just do it like this. Yeah, and, the, and the steps I think they lay out is like, so he feels an urge, right? Yep. Then he goes to his father. The other rules are he must cover his tracks. Yes. So both while he's investigating and after he's murdered somebody. Um, and then he has to spot the killers accurately mm-hmm. and and pretty immediately. And prove it. Yes. He has to yes. have evidence or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then no kids. And Dexter says that a bunch in the first episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they also talk about um, Dexter's lacking memory. That's a whole nother component for family therapy. Well, and lack yeah. of memory to, I believe, psychopaths right. and sociopaths, which yeah. we'll get to a little later, yes. is yeah. this not having good mm-hmm. long-term memory. Right. Because a lot of the way um, we remember things through our senses, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people remember things through smell and, and taste and that kind of thing. Smell is the really strong yep. sense. But the other thing for the average person is that strong emotions are usually signposts of things to remember later. Mm-hmm. When the emotions become um, when the emotions are too painful because the trauma is too great, then we, we can't remember right. those things. Um, mm-hmm. But then 
I, I don't know if you, you can diagnose somebody as a psychopath or a sociopath without knowing um, right. that if the memories are lost. Mm-hmm. As a clinician, I'd be concerned with labeling, picking such a huge label for something when I can't figure out what the trauma is or what, yeah. what the other issues are. Right. So that's, yeah. So yeah. did you also feel like did, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget her name. What was the wife's name? Um, Ju- um, Rita. Rita. Yes. Thank you. The actress was Julie. Yeah. yeah. Um, how did that change Dexter, do you think, and having a child yeah. also? Yes. So he initially, when she was pregnant, there was this huge focus on um, him basically having, creating another mm-hmm. monster like himself. Yes. Um, but what I think, I think Rita is kind of amazing. I think when they show just every, the change in sort of her, her affect and her and the way she dresses and the way she looks, I think was really intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, She's a much stronger version of herself before she's murdered. Um, So it's, I think usually in family therapy, when one, if we have a a really unhealthy person um, and and I wouldn't, it's not fair to say unhealthy. So we have somebody who has some coping strategies that really aren't working for the family. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. They might be healthy given what the issue is. Sure. Um, Yes. So someone gets really stuck on these coping strategies. Um, when one family member gets better, um, in family Mm -hmm. therapy, either everybody changes and sort of slowly gets better because it changes the system or the family sort of, um, separates. So if I change my patterns for the better and my partner can't change theirs or won't change theirs, we maybe don't stay together. That, that happens a lot. Um, with somebody else gets sicker. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or someone else or one of one of the kids becomes the focus with Rita and Dexter. She gets better. Um, and, and very healthy. There are some issues still. Yeah. Um, and he stays with her and grows to love her. So that shows resilience on both their parts. And some change. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Yes. Which is uh, technically a psychopath would have a much harder time changing, um, than Mm -hmm. what Dexter does in that relationship. So, yeah. And then the other thing, my understanding is, is that, and this goes to very more typical sort of, uh, psychopathic behavior is Mm -hmm. he leaves the child, his child, I believe with a woman who is also a killer. Now I didn't stick, oh, stay, yes, yes, right? Yes, yes, yes. So I don't know what she'd be diagnosed with if she, right? Because um, I know he gets involved with Lila in the second season. Yes, who is yeah. borderline personality disorder, yes, which yes. is fairly common amongst <laughs> mm-hmm. folks with personality disorders, mm-hmm. um, that they can tend to hook up and, yeah, um, you you tend to get a pairing, um, and that's a common pairing, antisocial pairing with borderline yes. a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know with the later, mm-hmm. the later in the series, yeah. some of my friends were saying like. Yep. He shouldn't have ended up with her. And then what happens to him? Yeah. So that's homeostasis. So he yes, ends up back exactly. in dysfunctional relationship patterns, which he, sh- he shows like a propensity to do that. Right. Um, and then showing not good judgment mm-hmm. with Harrison, with the baby. Yes. Um, Especially with, with Rita being gone, yes. which is a pretty significant yeah trauma that I don't think he processes. Right. Probably. Right. And, and, and so that brings up another thing that we've talked about. Um, so Harry's code, the behavior plan that he's, he's sort of living with doesn't, uh, doesn't work when Rita dies. Um, because Dexter 
doesn't have any coping strategies. Yeah. So he totally unplanned kill somebody in a men's bathroom, which is off his script completely. Yeah. Um, he right. doesn't have any coping strategies. Mm-hmm. So usually too, when we give a family a behavior plan, we, we want them to have coping strategies mm-hmm. for when we go off the tracks. Um, so if my only coping strategy is to have murdered appropriately in the first place, yeah. <laughs> then when, <laughs> right. when I blow up and murder inappropriately, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't have any way to fix it. No. Um, so yeah. Oh, good stuff. So interesting. Would you have anything else about Deborah, who I love on the show? Yes. Um, a lot of critics have said that Deborah's whole life would have been much better without Dexter. Oh, yeah. Um, Deborah would tell you differently. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> at least for the first half of the show, mm-hmm. um, she would. She said he gave her confidence. Yeah. Um, and he does sort of have this affection for her that guides him. Um, he he. As much as maybe a psychopath can, he puts her first. He does. Um, but that was also part, I, I, in, it's sort of a hidden part of Harry's code is that when you get lost, you go to your sister. Mm-hmm. So how much of that was that she was functional yeah. um, and made him look normal like the wife and the kids? Right. And how much of it was that he actually understood mm-hmm. um, that, you know, that she was bonded to him in a way no one else was. Yeah. She felt that, but mm-hmm. he didn't. So... So it's up to you, Julia. Do, do you want to go. go into Hannibal's background? And then, then we'll we'll sort of um, sift through sociopath, sure. antisocial, let's and do that. Psychopath, or yeah. Should we, should we do that, let's or do, do you want to do Hannibal first? Or yeah, let's do Hannibal. Okay. Should we do Hannibal? Just maybe just some of his background. Sure. And then we'll get into our okay. three our triangle of serial Sounds killer. Good. So we have Dr. Hannibal Lecter, who was the creation of Thomas Harris in a series of books. Um, probably the best known is The Silence of the Lambs, which is actually one of my all-time favorite films of all time. Um, did I say all time twice? I think I did in that but sentence. But it is the best movie. It yeah. is the best movie. So we have um, uh, Anthony Hopkins plays uh, Dr. Lecter, and this was in 1991. I remember it so clearly. And then Jodie Foster plays Clarice Starling. And Lecter is a psychiatrist, and he has been captured. And um, as Dr. Chilton says, so rare to catch one of them alive, um, as he says in the film, is um, what I believe is a true, uh, pure... Now, Chilton describes him as a pure sociopath, but... Um, uh, he is a psychopath of of yeah. of epic proportions. Yes. <laughs> so he is brilliant, and I would say um, a genius. Um, very very cultured. So he so I've watched so Silence of the Lambs. I've seen Red Dragon, and I've read the books. And then he's also portrayed by Mads Mikkelsen um, on Hannibal, which is airing right now. So we're going to talk a little bit about both of those um, manifestations of Lecter. So. He was a psychiatrist who would kill um, people and then eat their organs. And so we find out later, I'll talk a little bit Mm -hmm. about the the reasons why that happened. And I have a little bit of issue with the way, I guess, that Hannibal Rising and that was written. Mm -hmm. So Lecter in The Silence of the Lambs is already in prison. He was actually declared, believe it or not, insane and sent into a high security mental institution. Um, I'm not sure... He's insane, which we can maybe talk a little bit about. But I, not that I don't think anyone would have been safe had he had he been sent to a prison, right? right. And or he would have been in solitary, I guess. Yeah. Mac, and he, yeah, maximum security. So, and in therapy, we think of insane as right. you don't have the capacity right. to know right or wrong. Exactly, right? yeah. you don't have the capacity to know right or wrong, and you really can't control yourself. So I guess I, he was so um, systematic in the way he, I mean, he killed for a long time before he got caught. I don't believe you can be insane 
mm-hmm. and cover your tracks the way he did right. and lead like basically led a double life. Like he was a very successful, cultured um, on the TV show. Mm-hmm. He makes these um, incredible meals. He has friends. He's friends with Will Graham, mm-hmm. uh, the protagonist of the show. Um, he goes to music. You know, he's a connoisseur of the fine arts, these kinds yes. of things. And then. He shows very good judgment. Very good he's judgment. Eating people. Yes, yeah. very good judgment. Um, he seems to be actually a very good psychiatrist. He has good boundaries. We talk about some things that are really good. He's got good boundaries. Mm-hmm. He um, has a one of his clients is trying to become friends with him, and he refers him out mm-hmm. because he's like, "You're becoming too focused on me and not on your treatment." Yeah. So he's an he's an ethical serial. Killer. He's an ethical serial killer. Um, yes, with his clients. No, with, with his, right with, with his, his clients. <laughs> he he also has. Um, he has depending on the people he kills he believes are sort of intellectually inferior to him and so there are a group of people that he has respect for that he won't murder and we'll talk a little more about his history this goes into Hannibal Rising which will come back to Clarice Starling so basically the story is is that he is I'm going to find it here um so his early life is he was born into an aristocratic family in Lithuania um, and then being orphaned. And then he's with his sister, Misha. So they um, it, they're forced hideaway. Basically, what happens is Hannibal and Misha are captured by a band of Nazi collaborators. Yes. And this is all from Wikipedia's um, page about Hannibal Rising, um, who murder and cannibalize Misha before her brother's eyes. Mm-hmm. So this is the traumatic event. Like the storage cart for Like Dexter. the storage cart for Dexter. Yeah. Lecter later learns the collaborators, and this is what I wonder where the turning point is. Like The collaborators fed him Misha's remains. Okay. So irreparably traumatized, he escapes from his deserters, wanders through the forest, robbed of the, inab- of the ability to speak. So he mm-hmm. becomes mute for a while. Um, and then he's taken into an orphanage where he's bullied by their children and abused by the dean, and then becomes adopted by his uncle Robert and his wife, Lady Mirasaki, who nurses him back to health and helps him speak again. So there's this female attachment figure for him Um, so then he shows great um, intellectual aptitude he does apparently develop somewhat of a close pseudo romantic relationship with his step aunt Um, okay so he shows some great intellectual aptitude enters enters medical school at a young age um, and he has this very comfortable life he's consumed by savage obsession with avenging Misha's death now this is where I feel (laughs) This, this the doesn't stories get complicated. Yeah, this, it, this doesn't fit sort of, and maybe it's because he's not, I mean, every serial killer is unique. I don't know. But like mm-hmm. he doesn't really follow the trajectory, trajectory of a um, serial killer's development in that here he's like, I'm going to go avenge my sister's killers. And he does. So he, he hunts them down, kills them, um, murders them, and then takes his revenge. He mm-hmm. ends up, his aunt forsakes his relationship with his aunt and loses all traces of his humanity. And then the, the book ends when he enters John Hopkins Medical Center. Okay. So, so there's never talk of him abusing animals. There's never talk of, you know, doing some of those behaviors the way maybe Dexter did mm-hmm. or certainly Paul Spector, although it's interesting, Paul Spector from the fall ends up in an orphanage and also gets abused. I mean, it's sort right. of this textbook, like all of these horrible things happen to you in the orphanage. So yeah. is it that Hannibal, you know, did the when he's killing his victims and eating them, mm-hmm. is it is it him somehow trying to resolve this issue of having been fed his own sister? Yeah, and that's a really empathic way to look to look right. at it. Um, right, the, this idea that we're working through what's been done to us, we we take the power back by doing the same thing to someone else. Yes. Um, 
and and I think the what one of our experts email we'll talk about mm-hmm. later they they sort of pull, call into question how much of this is um, in these storylines we we meet them mid orphan time mm-hmm. or right after and we yep. hear all about it How, what were, I always wonder what the, what their attachments looked like before mm-hmm. so Hannibal has a relationship with Misha right what are his parents like that's what yes. a family therapist would right. ask like what what are they like yeah is he he does get severely traumatized um, but we know like attachment can be formed in the first 18 months of mm-hmm. life. Not everyone who's severely traumatized or, or forced to eat somebody becomes right. Hannibal. Exactly. And it's not an unheard of thing for, you know, for someone right. to go through, but it's, they don't yeah. actually become Hannibal. So yeah. Yeah. So it's an interesting. It's interesting. So in, so one of the things that happens in the silence of the lambs that is interesting is that he develops this relationship with Clary Starling. And at first he's amused that Crawford, Jack Crawford would send a trainee to him. So he's very aroused by this. The other thing that I'm curious to find out is smell. So he has a keen sense of smell. And Paul Spector from The Fall has a keen sense of smell. And I didn't know if any of the research you had done. Yeah. Is that just like... So... Like, is I mean, that like this whole, like, yeah. I experienced this heightened sense of sensory input over a normal person, or is it just, well, it, there's no one's really it might normal, be, but and like I think, an well, average person. So some of it too is like details that the, the literature community and, and the movie community would share about a serial killer tends to, they, they want to make them look animalistic. Mm-hmm. So sharing this detail that, um, that they have a heightened sense of smell uh, makes, predatory. Them, makes them more predatory uh, and savage okay. to us. I don't know. Um, it'd be interesting if, if someone could let us know if there's a research right. done about um, heightened sense of smell um, sort of with psychopaths or sociopaths mm-hmm. in general. Um, there may be when there's like an adrenaline rush and, sure. and a curiosity. Yeah. Um, if if you are detached emotionally from from the other object, do you examine it in a different way? Yeah. So I'm not attached to spaghetti, right? right. So I notice all these things about uh-huh. it that I don't necessarily notice about right. a human. I'm not analyzing. If you a, so interesting. Yeah. So if you let's just say you took emotions and you said emotions are our eighth sense. So it's the idea that like I'm blind, so I hear better, right? Maybe. So if you yeah. take away like I don't experience emotions, does mm-hmm. that heighten your other sensory? It depends on what you're, yeah. and like the scientific aspect mm-hmm. of your brain. Cause I would say for Hannibal and Dexter is they're, they're very methodical and they live in their minds and their heads. Yes. So they don't live in the feelings no. world. Um, they live in the thinking world. And yeah. if you're living in the thinking world, are you then, then maybe the senses that are very concrete, like yes. smell and taste mm-hmm. and touch are really vivid to you. Yeah. Whereas those of us that feel everything, those yeah. things may be vivid, but yeah. there's so many feelings that can drown out. Exactly. Those, those are, these are just our fun ideas. Yes. We have no idea what no. the answer is. No. So. I'm sure this is all very brilliant though. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It's inspiring. I like, I like the eighth, the so, eighth sense. The eighth of the sense of emotions. Yes. So mm-hmm. Hannibal, so to go back to Clarice then, cause that was my tangent. So Hannibal escapes. Yes. And now everyone at the FBI is really worried that he's going to come after Clarice. And Clarice mm-hmm. says, you know, it would he she, he's not going to come after me. He would consider that being rude, basically, is what she says. What I think is that in her in her his interactions with her, he sees Clarice as an equal and as a, as somebody who kind of went toe to toe with him. And because of that, 
he's going to let her go. Also, I believe he sees some of his sister in her. That was what I, yeah, I wonder. And so he, because of that, it's like, this is the, my, this is my little sister. She's my little sister. So I, and I love my little sister. So I love Clarice. Therefore, I'm not going to. Yeah. Kill her and eat her liver. Yeah. And she's kind of a tough cookie. She is a tough cookie. And there might be some draw um, in that he can continuously kind of get entertainment from her. Yes. From the game. Well, I think he says the world is a more interesting place with you in it, Clarice, because they have the call at the end of the film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I wonder, too, does he take away his own pleasure if he kills her? Or, you know, is he weighing the pleasure of eating someone is less than the pleasure. And if you have the combination of you remind me of my sister and excuse me intellectually I see you as an equal Mm -hmm. you are the world is a better place so therefore as God I allow you to live yeah you know he does think he's God he does think he's God and then one other quick interesting thing that I found looking up some research on Lecter is um, Mads Mikkelsen's approach on Hannibal Mm -hmm. Um, he basically says that he was really well he was adamant he didn't want to do Hopkins or um, he didn't want to do Hopkins or Cox's version These are the two actors who'd played him before. So he talked about the character not so much as Hannibal Lecter, the cannibal psychiatrist, but as Satan. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah. the fallen angel who's enamored with mankind and had an affinity for who we are as people, but is definitely Mm -hmm. not among us. He is the other. And I think um, the the director talks about that being very, very cool and this sort of subtext of him being Lucifer. And I would definitely say the show is very, like, it's like, I call it theater of the macabre. Like, there's a lot of imagery and Mm -hmm. um, the use of the color red and so many really detailed things that I think that fits that profile Mm -hmm. really well. And I just have a lot of respect now for that actor to take it to that level. Yeah. You know, saying I'm going to create this, this character. And I think it totally enhances who Lecter is. And and thinking about like Dexter does the opposite. He, Mm -hmm. he is outside looking at the world, but he wants to be in it. Yes. It's just very different. Yeah. Yeah. Lecter does not have any interest. And and Dexter, he doesn't, I'll rephrase that. He doesn't Mm -hmm. want to be a part of it because he emotionally yearns for it, but he wants to be, um, invisible mm-hmm. and Hannibal kind of wants to be God. So it's a yeah. very different or Lucifer has a Lucifer. very different take. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. speaking of imagery, um, a lot of, a lot of these shows, um, do sort of, they can either humanize or dehumanize someone with the imagery. Yeah. So you're kind of talking about almost a mystic mm-hmm. hell with, yeah. <laughs> with the, the Hannibal series and, um, and watching like the Dextro intro, the Dexter intro, mm-hmm. um, when they show him doing very creepily, he's flossing and cutting a blood orange and doing all these things. So in some ways that humanizes him because they're showing him very creepily doing everyday things. So it shows how he can hide. It shows how normal he is. Right. Um, And even with the ham, it looks like he is Hannibaling it up and eating somebody, but he's cooking breakfast ham. So it's or bacon or whatever it is, but it's sort of this very artistic way to both humanize Mm -hmm. him and make him look like a monster. Yeah. And, And whereas Hannibal, it's, I don't know that we need him to be human. No, and it's very, um, it feels very detached. Like he has these very, like this beautiful dining room where he prepares these meals for people. And you don't know like when they're put in front of him, it's like, oh, is that liver, a actual cow liver or is that a human liver, you know? And so it's all about appearances and Mm -hmm. for show. And, you know, it's all about like his intellectual... Um, the the sparring back and forth with Will and like it's it's fun watching their interactions because he I think wants to, in some ways wants to kind of be Will's friend but also doesn't know I mean 
knows enough to manipulate that to happen. Mm -hmm. And then when we talk about Lucifer, and then I think about Will Graham, so I talk about Will on the show as having pure empathy. Mm -hmm. So Will can step into a serial killer's mind, and that's how he solves these crimes. You can imagine as someone who's as empathetic as you are, if you did that a lot, you'd probably go crazy, and that's where this is heading. Yeah, Yeah. and that's what's happening to Will, is, is he's being pushed by Jack Crawford to embody these serial killers and so right now Lecter's trying to help him with that hmm. but also is he you know or is he setting up Will mm-hmm. to take the fall because yeah. he's yeah. a psychopath and yeah. Will is so then I think of Will if we're talking about Lucifer right Will is like the angel mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. like a whole nother that's a whole nother podcast yeah but, the, the, but yeah. that's good yeah. So that's, yeah. I don't think there's anything else I have to say about Lecter right now. That's wonderful. Other than him being. a lot about him. <laughs> yes. I guess I've spent a lot of time with Hannibal in the past few weeks that's, and it's as far back. One thing I would say, and mm-hmm. I don't believe this might be as good a time of any to talk about is, um, maybe we should save it for the end. I don't know. Is, is when you have, you know, Hannibal, the serial killer is now challenged by another serial killer and you want Hannibal to win. Or Dexter, yes. yeah. right? Yeah, Dexter versus Arthur Mitchell. We right. all want Dexter to, to, right. to beat the Trinity killer. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, part of that is in, in media, the, the people who create yeah. it, they're smart, right? Yeah. I think part of it is um, we built this relationship with these people over Mm-hmm. The, the other serial killers come and go, but Hannibal's yes. there the whole time. Yes. So we build this sort of relationship. Yeah. Um, and they, we cleverly, you know, or not cleverly get yeah. attached to certain characters that we want him to rescue. Right. Yeah. Right. And so then somebody else looks much worse. So, right. Yeah, that's an and because I'm right now, I'm only in season one, things I think get f- a lot worse and maybe he mm-hmm. becomes a less, a character I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm not. I kind of hope now that all of the serial killers get caught and killed. But at this right. point, he encounters Tobias, who is actually a fan. I think it's interesting when they write in like sociopath, psychopaths see psychopaths in each other, and so then they become attracted to each yeah. other. And so Tobias is basically like, "Well, I came here to kill you," mm-hmm. and Hannibal's like, "Oh, okay." And they're very clinically having this discussion about who's going to kill who. Yeah. yeah. And then Will Graham comes because he's freaking out because he's dissociated. He's going crazy. He's losing his mind. And then this guy leaves and then comes back during a therapy session with his friend. And then all hell breaks loose. I know. So I don't know what it means for us to cheer for serial killers. Like that's, again, a whole Mm -hmm. nother like... Well, I'm sure we're going to end up doing Walter White on Breaking Bad. Yeah. Well, He's yeah. number two on the list. And like th- that maybe is a better discussion for Walter White. Yeah. Well, and I think they're morality. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. That's part of part of it is that they are fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, they sort of represent the id, right? The thing, yeah. things, things that we maybe long for multiplied times right. 10 million and then actually carried out. So, yeah. So I think, yeah, it's a fascination. Um, and, and maybe it's an empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. Okay, so... Should we talk about the difference between the three? Yeah. All right, I'm going to let yeah. you talk. Okay. I'm have a drink of water. All right. So, um, why we love serial killers, the curious appeal of the world's most savage mm. murderers. So, this is a book... Um, and you can you can order it online. Um, they talk in this book about the son of Sam and the BTK. Oh killer. my gosh! Yeah. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And basically, so the author um, is Dr. Scott Bond, and he wrote for Psychology Today um, about 
sort of a brief difference between um, a, a sociopath and a psychopath. So he writes, many forensic psychologists, psychiatrists, and criminologists use the terms so- sociopathy. Is that yes, right, that's Julia? right. Yep. And psychopathy yeah. interchangeably. And we hear that all the yeah. time. And in treatment, that doesn't work. Um, so in working with some sociopathic traits, um, which you know, we experience yeah. as therapists. And I can I tell you, yeah. so I'm reading the book called The Psychopath Test. Oh, and just yeah. last night, um, the guy interviewed the man who basically created the DSM. <gasps> yeah, wow. the DSM-3. And so one of yep. the things they talked about was how much trouble everybody got in mm-hmm. when they put sociopath and psychopath under antisocial personality disorder. Yes. And yeah. now they're looking to, that might, I don't know if mm-hmm. it did change in DSM-5. We'll ha- yeah, we'll have to check on that okay. report. Yeah. Um, I'll let you keep going. I no, might that's, check. Yeah. yeah. You can, yeah so, but this is a controversy. Right. People, and it says people disagree on whether there are meaningful differences between the two conditions. And so the two being the psychopathy and the sociopathy. <laughs> um, so this author says, I contend that there are clear and significant distinctions between them, which of course, Julia and I agree. Yes. Um, <laughs> but we'd like to hear other people's ideas too. So the fifth edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders disorders released um, by the American Psychiatric Association in 2013 um, lists both of them under the heading of antisocial personality disorder. So that's what he writes about, like what you just said. Mm -hmm. So that's, yes, you're ahead of us, Julia. You're very good at this. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's wonderful. You you predict the future. So (laughs) these these disorders share the the common behavioral traits, and there's four. Um, So disregarding laws and social mores, um, the rights of others is the second one, a disregard for the rights of others. failure to feel remorse mm. or guilt and a tendency to display violent behavior. Okay. So th- these things they both have in common, but they have their own unique behavioral characteristics. So they talk about sociopaths, which we, the people we've been talking about so far really don't fit the sociopath Mm-mm. mode. No. Um, they talk about them being nervous, easily agitated. Um, he says they're volatile, prone to emotional outbursts, fits of rage. We see that in psychopaths, but that's more of when control is lost. It's not the right. norm. Um, it says they're likely to be uneducated and live on the fringes of society, unable to hold down a steady job. That's not true for, mo- no. for most of Dexter and Hannibal. Right. They've got some income and they're pretty... Yeah, they're um, very stable. Yeah, yeah. Um, they tend Sociopaths tend to not have attachments with others. Um, it says many sociopaths are able to form an attachment to a particular individual or group, although they have no regard for society in general or its rules. Um, in the eyes of other sociopaths will appear to be very disturbed. And only a couple people find Dexter disturbing in his life, other than the ones he's killing or stalking. Right. But only a few people kind of... And what I, about Hannibal? Um, so I don't know yet with Hannibal, but what I'd go back to Dexter is his yeah. that one police officer. I would have... Dokes. Des- Dokes. I would describe him as someone somewhat sociopathic. Oh, um, yeah. Well, he's... Or he sees, you know, so then we talk about like subclinical traits. Yeah. So like when we talk about psychopaths seeing psychopaths, like he knew right away there was something wrong with yeah. him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I've wondered some of Dokes' behavior was felt a little like reminiscent. Aff- yeah, he, he did of, have an affair um, you know, with of, the police officer's wife. I think so, yeah. And later he says, though, but they were on their way to divorce. He's kind of a conflicted one. He is, and, yeah. but then there's also a lot of justifying his behavior. Like, yeah. ex- like saying, like not taking responsibility for his behavior. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, he, and why does he see Dexter? Like, is right. that the connection they have? Right. Um, but he sees Dexter's maybe getting away with something, and Dokes isn't getting away with it. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, and Dexter kills him. So. Mm-hmm. Well, no, Lila kills Lila him. Lila kills right. him. Yeah. 
Um, and then uh, Dr. Scott Bond goes on, or Bone Bond, I'm not sure if I'm saying mm-hmm. that right. Um, any crimes committed by a sociopath, including murder, will tend to be haphazard, disorganized, and spontaneous rather than planned. So that's very different from a psychopath. Yep. Um, big difference. Trying to think of a good television character that would describe a sociopath. Yeah, that's a good... Like, I don't know if there were any characters from Breaking Bad that maybe came along the lines mm-hmm. of like, because usually those are the folks, I mean, they're the ones that get caught right away doing yeah. something really haphazard. Yeah, that's a good, um, I think of like, I can't remember the character's name. So in the butterfly effect, mm-hmm. there's the little, there's the boy that bullies everybody. He okay. burns it. I think he burns a cat or something, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, but he can't be a sociopath because he's too young. Mm-hmm. But I, I sort of think of the characters that are always in trouble. Yes. Um, and maybe, I mean, we could probably find a few in the Orange is the New Black. We could f- oh, find a few yes. sociopaths. Well, actually, um, do you have the soci- One of them, I just saw an article, is the cute girl. Well, they're all cute. Um, yeah, they are. She's with, what, she's got a, she's an Australian actress. I think she has an Italian accent. Oh. Um, and what okay. did she get charged? She was charged with stalking. Yes. And yes. she's a, she's a yeah. pathological liar. Yeah. She could, it was not stable. Like right. couldn't keep a job. Lots of lying, lots of check fraud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She would be more. Yeah. And, and very, very impulsive. Very impulsive. Um, yes. Because and, she breaks into that guy's house. Yeah. 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 And, and of course she's very lovable and then we love her, but yes, but and the, yeah. And then also okay. like, doesn't take responsibility. Like, cause I remember that episode of being very much like, well, he, this, he loves me. And I mean mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yep. And she does, she commits herself to one sort of other woman in prison, um, until her story, it becomes clear that she, she doesn't really have the life that she's portrayed. Yep. So she doesn't really have the yes. husband that she, or the fiance that she talks about. So she becomes disinterested in her female partner until her female partner's pulled off to solitaire and then she misses her. Yeah. So yeah, it's hard to tell. They're Lorna yeah. Morello. That's who it is. Okay. Yes. Lorna Morello. Okay. Yeah. There she is. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. So she might be a sociopath. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully mm-hmm. I'll, ask our, our email experts to send us mm-hmm. a list of sociopaths that aren't psychopaths. Um, so <laughs> they also talk about psychopaths. Um, they are unable to form emotional attachments or feel real empathy with others. And Lorna does form some, so she's not a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Although they often have disarming or even charming personalities, so Hannibal, of course. Psychopaths are very manipulative and can easily gain people's trust. Um, they learn to mimic emotions uh, despite their inability to actually feel them and will appear normal to unsuspecting people. And they're often well-educated. They hold steady jobs. So that part, we make sense so far for Hannibal yes. and Dexter and mm-hmm. the psychopath. Here's where it gets sticky. Okay. So this part is interesting. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, oh, well, also like they commit crimes differently. So yeah. We know that a psychopath is more planful. So this is, here's our sticky point. They talk about the origin of a psychopath being mm. neurological. Yep. So they're something. They're born that way. They're born. Yes. And. They sort of think of a sociopath as being made. Yes. So environmental. So 
if we we get attached to Dexter and we go down this path of he his trauma event created mm-hmm. what he is now, which they very much yes. give us that narrative. Yep. Then he would look with this theory more like a sociopath yes. than a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why with Hannibal and Dexter, we don't know what their parents were like no. before their big traumas. Right. So was Dexter already? Um, was his brain already different before right. it happened? Like was he likely? Because wasn't Laura Moser a drug? addict yes yeah like his well, mom's yeah she, or an informant and it's fuzzy like right. she, i mean she definitely worked with drug addicts she might have been one you know so was yeah. there some some neglect that was happening mm-hmm. yeah. prior is that our expert oh sorry yes <laughs> yes so there may, there may have been yes our assistant is helping us here with our papers <laughs> So, so there may have been some neglect that, you know, we can't, but we don't, we don't know. know. So what's hard for, I think the average person separating these two, mm-hmm. if you it's have interest confusing. in it, yeah. it's confusing because yeah, the origins don't match. Mm-mm. So if a psychopath is born and a sociopath is made, um, we have these characters that are usually environmentally made mm-hmm. through orphan experiences or childhood trauma. Right. So we can fall in love with them because we can blame yeah. the trauma, but then they act like psychopaths. Yeah. So is, is that because it's more interesting to mm-hmm. watch a psychopath, but we can't love them if they don't have an orphan past? Is that right? Is that the Well, and that's such an interesting way to describe it because you have, I think, the the demonstration of norm of quote normal behavior makes them more appealing to us, right? Yes. Because yeah. if you had a sociopath and there there have been, but we, you know, characters, they're out of control, they're doing bad things, they're hurting people, they're running, you know, they're not it, they're not as in control of what they're doing. Right. So it makes it a lot easier to not like them. And yeah, they're not as, it takes longer to fall in love with them. Yeah. Um, because but they're not as predictable. No. We like things we can predict. Right. Too. Yeah. Right. And especially I think with Dexter, that moral code, it's like, mm-hmm. well, he's, he's a better guy. Because he's killing people who've already killed. Yeah. And that goes back to what you were saying about when we root for the serial killer. Um, If we're starting to lose an audience, we make our serial killer look a little heroic. Mm -hmm. And we throw in someone much worse. And then then we love our serial killer again and we keep watching. So that's... (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. 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 So we do have an expert opinion, Julia. Do you have any more to... I don't. I think this is good because we haven't brought up attachment. And I think attachment is going to be something we're going to talk more about in the future. Yes. Um, Yeah. So attachment disorders, we're, we're in no way going to delve into uh, no. attachment disorders. Nope. Other than um, one expert op- opinion, um, a ther- Monica the Therapist, Monica. who will hopefully be one of our guests. Yes. Um, she has emailed us um, with her take on, she sort of answers our question about how is Dexter behaving like a psychopath with sort of more of a sociopath origin. Mm-hmm. So she she's pretty brilliant and she's written... Her take on when we misdiagnose um, dissociation and attachment issues, um, this happens all the time when working uh-huh. with children and families. Is th- they're just the bad kid all of a sudden. Yes, um, they get that label. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're not talking. To, we we miss these um, signs of sort of dissociation and attachment. Mm-hmm. So she writes: When thinking of Dexter, it's easy to accept the given narrative of his character. A young child witnesses and experiences a huge trauma, loses his primary attachment figure, Laura Mosher, and is left alone for days without comfort. Um, so he. He has no food. He, yeah. He, so pretty significant neglect on top of a horrible, yes. which cre- traumatizing experience. Yes. On top yeah. of yes, witnessing a 
mm -hmm. murder of his attachment figure. Right. Yeah. And it says he's adopted and given a chance of a normal childhood and a respected and seemingly loving family. However, what he witnessed was just too much. We're led to believe that he follows a typical sociopathic or antisocial trajectory. Um, he injures animals, has odd behaviors, and seemingly no empathy for others. Um, and she's sort of talking about when a, when a child, usually with this sort of trajectory, mm -hmm. we, we call it maybe oppositional defiant disorder, which turns into conduct disorder. And then, then we get into the heavier antisocial mm -hmm. stuff. Um, he's given, she writes, he's given social scripts for how to function in daily life. Um, and so that he's not arrested or realized as feelingless or sociopath is yeah. what he calls it. However, it doesn't really fit that the trajectory of a sociopath. We realize that, that he has deep affections for his sister, wife, children, and coworkers. He's able to form attachments and bonds with multiple people throughout his life while also being a sociopathic murderer, which leads into the next point. Is this behavior just another addiction that was shaped by a key mm. figure at an early age? Killing helps him forget why he needs to kill in the first place. It dulls emotion. It keeps his PTSD at bay. Would he have turned out differently um, if his parents had realized the sociopath tendencies and sought family therapy and individual therapy first. We already know that he's able to form multiple attachments. Um, so that doesn't fit either sociopath mm -hmm. or psychopath. No. He forms them in his own way, but he's forming them. His yes. behaviors don't match those of someone who's faking it. Yes. And Hannibal fakes it. Right. Yes. It's different. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, he has to develop scripts in order to pursue these relationships because he doesn't have the scripts from childhood. Yeah. So he, he does very rotely memorize yeah. them so that he can say the mm -hmm. right things to Rita and Deborah. Yes. But, but is her question is, is he, is he doing this because he just doesn't know how to do it? Cause he didn't learn right. in those very, you know, gentle years right. where you're supposed to learn or is he actually doing it because he's not feeling things um, and she said from a peer attachment standpoint he has a healthy and normal infancy as, as far as we know yes and young childhood infancy to 18 months um, Dexter's mother seems to be available, consistent, mm -hmm. and loving as a primary caregiver. He seems to form a secure attachment with her, but there's no indication at any point in his life that his emotions and well-being are not cared for, which is what you need to create a sociopath. Um, so could the trauma of hmm. losing the parent in that way and being isolated for that long big enough to cause an attachment injury? Yes, we think. Yes. We think so. Um, and is that attachment injury really being misdiagnosed as him being a sociopath. She thinks the memory loss is not um, as, um, really him being detached or not feeling yep. things about what what happened. She f sees the memory loss as him dissociating. Yes, I would and agree. And not being able to come back. That's really um, good. Yeah, so she says, why then why shape Dexter into being a murderer with a code? She's mm -hmm. calling out Harry here. When all the other codes could be taught and instilled in him because yes. we know he can learn Exactly. Codes, so why not teach him the ones um, that manages impulsive behavior without the death yes. of, I think it's like 67 people yes. by season four. Um, why not teach him some other coping mechanism mm -hmm. to keep him safe? So she thinks the murder is a coping strategy yes. um, for trauma, mm -hmm. not for power and control, yeah. which is your Arthur Mitchell's like the power yes. and control. So that that's a that's brilliant. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. Thank you for writing <laughs> yes. that. And I think that's a really good take on him. And I don't think that same take could be for Hannibal. Like, it's so different. It's so yeah. different. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we could say that for him. But I think it also speaks to quickly. Um, you talked about Harry is a, rec is a recovering alcoholic. 
Yes. So yeah. early in our time together, they, we talked about that. So how much yeah. of Harry having him have a code is enabling behavior, like repeating a family pattern of enabling. Yeah. So they hint at Harry drinking a lot. They make comments about it a lot on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they sort of allude to Deb having lots of beer in her fridge. Yes. Not that, you know, we can label alcoholics right. based on that at all. But she gets to work every day. She, yeah. Yeah. But there, <laughs> I but guess there, she be functioning, but pain, yeah. like nursing of pain yeah. and family secrets. And if, if, as you said earlier, like Harry's lens is mm-hmm. the, the police, the criminal versus the, the police officer sort of lens. Right. Do we also apply Harry's addiction lens mm-hmm. to Dexter? So is he just taking all of his life experiences and glomming yeah. them onto Dexter? And that's why Dexter doesn't get treatment. Yeah. Um, which leads into intergenerational family therapy yes. too. Um, yeah. Yeah, so we could go there if you want. Or sure, should we go there? Go. I think that's good. I think we can get through these quickly. Okay, yeah, yep, yeah. well, yes. We and can. then we can do, do wanna... some select treatments. Sure, so I love Murray Bowen, um, and I think this is a great introduction into family therapy. I think we'll have a podcast dedicated to talk a little bit about systemic yes. theory, because yes. that's the whole basis for marriage and family therapy mm-hmm. that's very different from other forms of treatment. treatment. Yes. Yep. We think it's very special. Yes, it is. It is special. It's once you learn how to think systemically, you'll never think the same way about a world again. So, so Murray Bowen developed his style of therapy. And so basically his theory is of human behavior views that the family is an emotional unit and uses systems thinking to describe the complex interactions in the unit. So he really basically says you look at this family unit and we look at the siblings, the parents, and really look at the generations of the family members and look at differentiation, which Mm -hmm. I think is a big concept of his. So basically, um, yeah, differentiation of self of self. Mm -hmm. Um, and that sort of identifies your level of functioning and that differentiation can actually be transmitted through generations. And so that's separating how you think and and ha- yes. your thoughts and your feelings. Your thoughts and your feelings. Mm-hmm. And then also he really applied sort of the emotional, biological, and environmental influences are considered as an individual adapts within the family unit over the generations, which mm-hmm. we can apply Hannibal to some of this. Yes. So like how he did this. So differentiation is, yeah, it's definitely the ability to separate your thoughts and feelings mm-hmm. from other people. Mm-hmm. And when you are, there's a scale he developed from like zero to a hundred. And yeah. I don't think anyone can achieve a hundred. No, your, your life goal is to work to be differentiated differentiated. and you basically different siblings can differentiate at different levels Mm -hmm. and parents are differentiated at different levels Mm -hmm. and if you are not well differentiated and this goes to Murray Bowen's brilliant application of his techniques to society's functioning because I would say right now if I could say make a political statement is that we are becoming very undifferentiated as a society Mm -hmm. we take on we're taking on this sort of emotional turmoil um, of of thinking and feeling and, and being enraged about about lots of things mm-hmm. and in denial actually sort of this emotional cutoff which is another one sort of yep. of the environment and of the earth mm-hmm. you know as its own and the least differentiated you are the higher your anxiety is ah, so that's yes, what thank you're talking you. about Julia yes. is like this high reactivity yes. results from being very anxious yes. and so then yeah we do get very dark we get dark and very reactive yeah. yes so yeah. I think I feel like society is moving towards some undifferent being less differentiated 
um, high reactivity and things like that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, one other thing we would say about differentiation just is that it's uh, individual's ability to separate themselves from group thought. Mm-hmm. So it's like if someone makes a general statement, are you the person that agrees with that statement? Or are you the person that thinks for themselves and says, hmm, I don't know that I agree with that statement. Right. That's sort of a good sense of differentiation. Yeah. And your ability to do that depends on your ability to do it in your own. In your family. In your, in because, your, yeah. because yep. that's where it all starts. Yes. So then do you mm-hmm. want to do the nuclear family? Sure. Um, Did I miss anything? I no, I think okay. I think that's everything. Um, okay. And, and just to give an example, so like separating, separating your thoughts from your feelings might be, um, if I'm feeling really tired, yeah. which might feel like really sad, um, do my thoughts automatically reflect that? Mm-hmm. So internally, if it's, it's raining today yeah. um, and it's Monday, right? So those two facts alone are living in my thought world. So if I mush them with my feeling world, I'm sad and I don't yeah. want to work and I don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. Can I separate them? Um, and th- those folks that tend to function better on Mondays are the ones that go, it's Monday. Yes. That's Monday's a yes. rough day, but, but then you have your tools cause you can separate your feelings about the day and, yeah. and the actual day. Do you also feel like sometimes I've thought of differentiation too, is this idea of like walking into a room and maybe you're with somebody who's really anxious and you can mm-hmm. sip in there and go, now I'm feeling really anxious. And then you can say, okay, is this my anxiety? Right. Or is this, is it because I'm in a room full of anxious people mm-hmm. right now and being able to not take that anxiety on mm-hmm. and separating your thoughts, being able to separate yeah. that, like their thoughts and feelings and there's a barrier mm-hmm. and my thoughts and feelings. So I think and Julia is an expert at thinking about feelings. Yes. And that means she's differentiated. Yes. <laughs> she's separating her thoughts from feelings. Separating my thoughts from my feelings. Yeah. All right. That's wonderful. Um, yeah. So the nuclear family concept describes four relationship patterns that manage anxiety, marital conflict, dysfunction in one spouse, impairment of one or more children, and emotional um, distance. It governs mm-hmm. where problems develop in a family. Yes. So, I, yeah. I think sometimes people criticize his term nuclear family. Yes. So I feel like now in this day and age, mm-hmm. it is... The family that you grow up with in whatever shape or form that right. might be. Right. Yeah. Yep. The, the people that you interact with the most, most. and that are yes. sort of your, yeah, your attachment yeah. figures. Yes. Yeah. So that's, so a nuclear family, whether, whatever you call it, your mm-hmm. main family. Yeah. Um, that's where you learn these patterns of differentiation. So in very sort of emotive, loud families mm-hmm. um, where there isn't a lot of room for you to, to be thinking and to have headspace, yeah. um, they might be very emotionally reactive. Yeah. Um, and you might be raised one way and then raise your children the same way or the opposite way. Yes. Um, yes. And so that's how it gets passed on. Mm-hmm. And people that sort of um, escape... This, the, Mm -hmm. they call it the, I think it's undifferentiated ego ego mass. Yes. (laughs) So the people, it's like a giant moving blob. It is. It is. Yeah. It makes me think of the Ghostbusters. Yes. I think it's the second movie where the whole city, it's the anger blob. It is an anger blob. That is what it is. Um, so, so people that are really, uh, they mistake being differentiated, um, so when I talk to clients that are, well, I don't speak with my parents. Mm. I'm totally separate. They don't affect my life anymore. Um, Bowen would tell you that not speaking to someone is just as, um, undifferentiated as having to talk to them constantly. So he would call that emotional cutoff. It's too painful for you to communicate because you can't separate your thoughts and feelings from them. Yes. So that, so we'll get back to Dexter and Hannibal. Mm -hmm. Um, yep. 
Anything else on here? Marie no, Bowman, I think, but should... I do just want to say one yeah. more thing about the family projection process yes, and yes, triangles, I guess. There's so many. This yes. is such good stuff. But the family projection process is the way parents transmit their emotional problems mm-hmm. to a child. Which is super right related to Dexter and yes, Hannibal. Yes, and Hannibal, yes. Yeah. So some parents have great trouble separating from the child. They imagine how the child is rather than having a realistic appraisal of that child. Mm-hmm. Um, so then that relationship problems negatively affect the child's life or heightened need for attention and approval, difficulty dealing with expectations, the tendency to blame oneself or others, feeling responsible for others' happinesses, yep. and acting impulsively to relieve the anxiety rather than tolerating it and acting thoughtfully. Right. right. Yeah. So, and then the, I think the other one, just for everyone to be aware of, if you take one thing away from this podcast is the importance of how triangles affect your life. Yes. So yes. Um, it's a three person relationship system. Yeah. Tri- triangles are amazing. They're amazing. Um, they, so <laughs> a triangle, um, basic, they happen at work. They happen at home. They yeah, happen everywhere, everywhere you, you go. go, everywhere. The structure is supposed to relieve anxiety. Yes. So if you think of the two ends of the triangle, um, that aren't pointing up the two that are on the base mm-hmm. holding up the other end, yeah. um, <laughs> that's, that's what they're there for. Um, so for better or for worse. So usually the least differentiated person mm-hmm. gets in a, in a system, gets sucked into a triangle. Yeah. So that's maybe mom and dad managing conflict through a child yes. or two siblings, two siblings managing conflict through the third sibling Mm -hmm. Um, it happens at work um, maybe two people that work together scapegoat sort of a third person it's yes. a triangle. Um, it's, they can be functional too. Yes, they can be functional. You see, actually, I see very functional triangles on the television show Modern Family. Yes, yeah. They're actually really because that's a very healthy family. They function, mm-hmm. but there are tons of triangles. So it's like Alex goes to mom and wants something, and mom says no. So then she goes to da- or then she goes and complains to Haley about mom being a pain. That's an example of a triangle. Right. Right. So that third person becomes the stabilizer in a conflict between two mm-hmm. other people. Yeah. It's brilliant. It is. And so long as there's flexibility in your triangle. So what Mm -hmm. Harry does with Dexter is he creates a triangle um, between whatever his his sort of demons are, his maybe the drinking, um, the extramarital affairs Mm -hmm. um, with a lot of different women. And it sort of creates a triangle. Dexter sort of holds his box of secrets. So in a family like this, if they come into therapy, um, we would sort of look at why why doesn't Harry's box of secrets go with his wife? Um, he can't somehow, he can't have his secrets and have them be functional mm-hmm. and maintain that marriage. So Dexter gets them. Yeah. So his sort of emotional process gets pushed down the next generation um, to Dexter, who then also can't separate himself from Harrison. Yeah. Um, rather than seeing that that baby might be a totally separate entity yes. and have nothing to do with his you know psychopathy or right. whatever it is he immediately assumes this baby is going to be like me yeah and undifferentiated way, yeah undifferentiated yes. that it's very and and sort of dexter has like a million triangles um he killing is a triangle for him so he pulls that in to cope with stress with with his home yes. life um he sort of creates a lot of different structures um to mm-hmm. sort of manage his impulses so 
Yeah. So that's really, there's triangles, but there's also a lack of differentiation. So Harry applies like what Julia, you had mm -hmm. said, his lens, his worldview mm -hmm. and shoves it on Dexter. So then instead of having a child with an attachment disorder who needs therapy, we get a serial killer <laughs> who just needs to follow a code so that he can continue killing. Right. Um, and he should work at a police station yeah. and be a bl blood spatter analyst yeah. um, because that that's how to deal with the serial right. killing. Yeah. So that's that's the couple of things I think about mm -hmm. for Hannibal. And this is I'm curious what you think about this. So so when I was thinking about differentiation for Hannibal, mm -hmm. he almost seems he is so detached yeah. that he's very differentiated, but like in a very unhealthy way. He doesn't have feelings. Right. Yeah, that's a good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so I was so like, would think, Bowen like, work for him? Right. Like I was thinking about this. I'm like, is he like the most differentiated person because he is so not. Mm -hmm. And then it made me think about psychopaths in general. I mean, there's certainly. So I don't know if you can apply the scale, but if you're choosing to do something that is so deviant, you're clearly not going with groupthink. Right. You're not like, right. well, I'm going to eat someone's liver. Well, I better not. Because right. all these people over here are going to really you're completely separate. You're completely separated from it, which to me, does it give you score you points on differentiation scale at right. all? Which means can you do can you do intergenerational family therapy on a psychopath? <laughs> um, Probably help him really understand his functioning, yeah. but I don't know how much you'd change his behavior. You you might enable him with it. Yes. <laughs> so then he has a whole history to right. back up why it is he does what he does. Um, and then yeah. you have Hannibal at least. Yeah. Um, one other thing I wanted to say about Hannibal is the sibling position, and this is for yep. Dexter and for Hannibal, mm -hmm. is that they are both, well, I'm going to speak for Hannibal, he's the oldest. Yeah. And so they describe with sibling position in Bowen's theory that a lot of times oldest children tend to gravitate toward leadership positions, mm -hmm. and youngest children often prefer to be followers, mm -hmm. unless the parents disappoint them. So you basically have Hannibal in this, I would call it a leadership position. Yeah. As a psychiatrist, people perceive him as the expert. Look at at uh, Dexter also as the blood spatter expert. Mm -hmm. Is he the oldest? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and what's interesting um, with sort Bowen and other theorists talk about sibling position when you displace families or you move people around mm -hmm. or you lose the sibling, so the sibling position changes. How that can affect a character's values. Um, so D Dexter doesn't want to interact with people. He doesn't want mm -mm. to really be in charge of Deborah's life. But she, coming from sort of a, a normal brain perspective, yes. there's no such thing as normal. Right. But she sort of puts him in that role, yeah. and that's how she looks at him as the younger sibling. Yeah, and I would. Do you think Deborah's less or more differentiated? Deborah's not very differentiated no, in terms she, of her personal relationships with other people. What I, what I, she's really she's interesting. Yeah. yeah, she's very reactive, but what I find interesting is that she she's reactive but she grows so she's able to mm -hmm. say the thing nobody wants to hear yes. in a lot of those big meetings um which is she what what style of so what is that that's um in another yeah. type of therapy we discuss would be the whistleblower yeah like she rings the bell she's the you know she's like what she's like yeah. what's happening over here and that's a definite 
The, the, yeah, that's, but that's not the diff- scapegoat, but the, the symptom mm-hmm. of the problem. Sometimes our, the symptom, when we think about mm-hmm. a family, the one who's causing the trouble is the symptom of a greater, is the one, it's like she's ringing, yeah, she's ringing the bell. Like, yes. don't you see this is what the problem is? So in the family of the police department, she is not following suit. Right, she's uncouth. Um, yes. She's kind of out of control. Um, La Guerta, the, yes. the, the, the chief mom. sort of, yeah, keeps trying to put, put her back into yep. her position. Eventually, though, she starts to listen to her, but only this is interesting so LaGuardia is very undifferentiated so when her and Angel get together her <laughs> needs are suddenly met mm-hmm. so she's not taking out all of all of her angst yes. on the police department and right. then Deborah can sort of move up and yep. their whole relationship changes when LaGuardia's needs are yes. sexual and, and romantic needs are met so talk about they're not differentiated <laughs> no. at all because it's everyone else's problem yeah. when LaGuardia's needs are yeah. met her insecurity sort of in her role takes it out on yeah. Deborah. the whistle blower mm-hmm. it's easiest in yes. the triangle to take it out on the whistle yeah on the yep. whistleblower or on the person Perfect. that's the most obviously yep. appropriate so nice. that's a good point you brought up julia about how how would bowen work with hannibal <laughs> um bowen was really big on providing insight yes. he felt like he could work with a client or a family if he could give you insight mm-hmm. about where all of your problems came from yep. you were gonna have a lot more tools to manage your behaviors sure. later on and your anxiety um so i think I think Bowen could provide a lot of insight to Hannibal, but I don't see that then Hannibal being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to change. I could I could see Hannibal admiring yes. someone who could provide him with insight. Yes. I don't think he would then kill Bowen. Like, I think right. Hannibal right. would be like, <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> so you have some excellent yeah. insight into my family's functioning. I'm not going to eat your liver for dinner. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of a compliment to Bowen. Yeah, it is. It really is. We could do a little part of the part of this <laughs> podcast great. is like the approval of Hannibal Lecter. Yes. Yeah. That could does does Hannibal like does or Hannibal like approve? Yeah. <laughs> and then well then I I kind of wonder um, would Bowen see Hannibal as cut off though? Mm-hmm. Would he oh, see yeah. it as he's so detached from everything? Right. That if he actually could if they could shift his brain and it reattach him would he be dysfunctional yeah. would the pain be so great he couldn't function yeah i mean you talk about em- this goes to emotional issues right so emotional cutoff is reducing or totally cutting off emotional contact this resolves nothing and risk making new relationships too important so right he cuts off his relationship with his step aunt mm-hmm. you know which was the the uh, attachment figure yes Right. Yeah. So I don't know. So you're right. And you said, did you say they were romantically involved? There's some pseudo romance. So when there's like almost incest or romance, yep. um, where it shouldn't be, mm-hmm. and there's a power differential, yeah. um, a lot of people cut off. They can't possibly confront yep. what's happened to them, and we don't blame them. No. But that cutoff, it's sort of a natural coping mechanism to to save, sure, for Hannibal to save himself, right, from that trauma yeah. of that weird power differential and that weird sexual yeah. relationship. And then the other thing, one more quick, interesting comment from the books that Thomas Harris wrote about Hannibal, which don't get covered in the films because it would creep everybody out, yeah. is in, where is it? Hold on. Got to hold the horses here. Yeah. In. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like when, when you have lots of different forms of media covering I think a character. The, I think it's Hannibal. Where mm-hmm. is it? Yeah. He ends up, Clarice and him end up becoming lovers. Oh, goodness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then talk about not being able to separate thoughts and feelings. Exactly. <laughs> so like, so like she becomes like the sister figure, which kind of goes back to that murky relationship mm-hmm. with his aunt. And then like, 
at the end of it become mm-hmm. lovers. And that's interesting that there's some weird sort of incestuous stuff going on for Hannibal because a lot of times that's associated with power and control. Mm-hmm. Um, or the need for power and control once it's been taken from you. Um, So treatment that would maybe work for Hannibal, I think. I think Dexter needed some very early intervention Mm -hmm. attachment work. Um, In selecting effective treatments, a lot of MFT students are required to get this book. It's a comprehensive systemic guide for treating mental disorders by Linda Seligman. Seligman, I'm not sure I'm saying Mm -hmm. that right. And Lori Reichenberg. They talk about antisocial personality disorder. Um, They say in people diagnosed with APD, the symptoms of conduct disorder have persisted beyond 18. And we talked sort of about Dexter's early interventions wouldn't have involved giving him that narrative that he was a sociopath at all. Um, The pattern is typified by impulsive and aggressive behavior that is a reaction to social rules and norms. Theft, manipulation, lying, lack of empathy and cruelty to people and animals, vandalism, fighting their common behaviors. Um, They go on to write about how people with APD are unable to sustain employment. So that's just the big umbrella of antisocial personality disorder. So again, um, doesn't totally fit Hannibal and Dexter. Um, But it does say they're egocentric, impulsive, reckless, angry, irritable, deceptive, and aggressive. Yes. They don't like social and legal guidelines for behavior. True. And their treatment, I think, was really interesting. So Bowen, maybe maybe we could work with the Morgans with Bowen, Mm -hmm. but I think the Lecters would be a different. Yeah. Um, they, <laughs> yeah, I think the APD tends to run in families. It's believed to result from an interplay of genetic predisposition, temperament, stress, and life experiences. Um, and so all those things combined. Yeah. And in here they write about how, um, so Ferguson 2010 found that as much as 50% of the variance in APD can be attributed to genetics with unique experiences responsible for up to 31% and shared experiences contributing 11%. So there's a lot of origin stuff. Yeah. There's a lot of arguments about how it starts and, and nature versus nurture mm-hmm. is a constant argument. Um, they say the part that's affected is the orbito, orbitofrontal cortex. I think at some point we need to ask a neuroscientist yeah. on, the, on our show um, and I've always wondered this as a therapist, how much can trauma change your frontal lobe? Oh. I know it can change it when it's repeated, but can one instance of trauma yeah. change the trajectory of the growth of your entire frontal lobe it's making like, Dexter? Like, yeah. Is that, is it that, feels like you have, like, there's a there's this part where, like, you're born with what you have. Mm-hmm. And then there was, I still remember my professor when I was at, um, in grad school talked about how there's when you age as a child you shed all the dendrites in your brain and you get a chance to get make new ones yeah and so if you have this traumatic event maybe the the dendrites don't shed the way they're supposed to right but if you're getting like all the love and the nurturing those then that kind of pulls you back into that healthy trajectory huh which is part of the treatment. They yes. say um, intervention strategies. So a history of rejection, underachievement, and anti-authoritarian bias often leads them um, to resist treatment. Mm-hmm. So they often recommend that you're in a facility. Yes. So you're an inpatient when sure. you're in treatment. That makes sense. Um, there's a lot of, they say... Um, there's a lot of aggressive behaviors combined with violent or criminal criminal backgrounds resulting in criminal justice pathways. So a lot of times by the time they get treatment, it's reactive instead of mm-hmm. proactive treatment. Um 
they talk about schema therapy, Julia. Ooh, so, and okay. it integrates cognitive therapy with imagery, empathic confrontation, homework assignments, and limited reparenting. So, huh? How would Dexter and Hannibal have been different? I think Dexter reparenting maybe yes. would have helped. Yeah, Hannibal, I don't know. I don't we just know. don't know enough. We don't know enough. And yeah. 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 I also wonder if it has to do with age. So like some of the things that I think about is Dexter is much younger than Hannibal. Right. You know, so you, it goes to that like uh, being in your 20s versus, I mean, if you look at him as a Silence of the Lambs, so that was mm-hmm. Hannibal was what in his late 50s? So those neural patterns are stuck. They're stuck. Yeah. And He's we're not, not saying you can't change at no. that age, but his are pretty stuck. His are pretty yeah. stuck. I mean... I think you watch those films and they're they're fairly stuck and yeah and now seeing the tv show Hannibal going into that mm-hmm. you know he doesn't there is no there's nothing that's keeping him he does it so well and that's often what when they talk to serial killers it's like they get they no pun intended they get a taste for it yes. in this case Hannibal <laughs> gets a taste for it um that and then you become quite skilled at it, which they also talk about that. It's like once you get good at doing something, your brain mm-hmm. gets better and better at doing it. Right. And so it's the denial kicks in or the I'm a, I'm God and these people are lowly mm-hmm. or I'm doing them a favor. Hannibal makes a joke about how this, what is it, Benjamin Raspel di- um, died and he's like, it didn't matter. His therapy wasn't, he wasn't making progress in therapy anyway. It's like, yeah. well, he didn't make progress in therapy, so he might as well be dead. It's this very mm-hmm. God-like belief system that Lecter had. And so I just don't know. Yeah. And I mean, where, and where did he get it from? When, where did he get it from? Yeah. And just Thomas Harris didn't let us know enough. Yeah. Mr. Harris, I love your books, but <laughs> did wonderful. he have a healthy attachment from zero to 18 we months? We want to know. We, we wanna, need to know. We want to know <laughs> Hannibal's infancy <laughs> yes. story so we can help <laughs> this imaginary character in family therapy. That's right. So the, the coolest thing from this mm-hmm. book is they talk about the sign that you're getting better if you have antisocial personality disorder, oh. which is all, I'm obsessed with season four because I saw the first big change with Dexter. Mm-hmm. I'm weeping with Rita in the bathtub watching it on a Sunday night. Yes. <laughs> it was so dramatic for me. But um, they say the early sign that you're getting better is depression. And mm. and Dexter's already kind of detached and antisocial. But as a therapist, I look at him going to that wake and he looks depressed to me. Yeah. So he, of course, he reverts back, you know, to his old mm-hmm. ways. Right. But for a glimmer there in that middle of the programming, he looks sad. Yeah. He, he doesn't know what sad feels Mm-mm. like, really. Um, it's new to him. It presents as he can't speak much. And he says awkward things with like a Mickey Mouse hat on when he tells the kids their mm-hmm. mother's dead. But he oh, looks depressed. Right. And that's an yeah. early sign. So if you're sad, yeah. um, they... And, and that like speaks to let's have empathy for people in these situations. Mm-hmm. If you, if the alternative to all of your misconduct behavior is to feel horribly paralyzed and depressed. Yeah. We have empathy for people who mm-hmm. have, have had hard lives. Yes. <laughs> so, like, you know, let's, yeah. let's think of it that way. Right. <laughs> like, when your alternative is crippling depression, mm-hmm. um, we can sort of understand why these things, these puzzle pieces right. fit yeah. in a certain way. Yeah. Um, whether we agree with the actions or not, we can understand the actions. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I thought that was just interesting. They also recommend medication. Yes. And that kind of treatment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, I don't know what kind of medication Dr. Lecter could be on. I don't know. Like <sighs> Thorazine or Haldol yeah. just to knock him out so he yeah. can't kill people. Yeah. Because it's, it's he he's not depressed. No, he doesn't feel. No, and he's not yeah. anxious. He's very in control. Mm-hmm. He's like the poster 
person for control. Yeah, I think I think Bowen would recommend in inpatient intensive treatment. Ah, uh, yes. Um, and he also like there are times to cut off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, there are times when cut off would be is better than yeah. And so it, maybe he would recommend Hannibal's family members cut off. <laughs> right. Well, and Hannibal, so. like I'd be curious what Bowen would say about for for Hannibal as a child, and maybe this doesn't even pertain, mm-hmm. but like he had members of his family cut off from him through no choice of his own. Mm -hmm. And can those have similar effects in terms of your differentiation? Mm -hmm. Like, I guess they would be talking about Bowen and attachment together. Yeah. Well, and really like it is related. It is. To attachment. It is. And then like they talk sometimes when somebody like adoption, you'll see often, even though a child has been adopted by a family, there's still some of the biological traits. So I think about that multi-generational process that you see with Bowen, some of that Mm -hmm. stuff still gets transmitted even in adoptive families where you'd expect like, well, this shouldn't happen. And it still does mm-hmm. in terms of sometime we'll have to talk about genograms. Cause I think that could be really interesting. Yeah. Maybe down the road when we're videotaped, we could draw one. We can, yeah. We could Cause they're really hard to describe. Yeah. yeah. But it's basically that idea of like, mm-hmm. what do we carry you and I, and all of us carry history mm-hmm. of our families. And so when I think about Hannibal kind of going back to Bowen for a moment is the multi-generational process. So if he had because his his parents I don't think it says his parents were orphaned so were they mm-hmm. murdered in World War One for example mm-hmm. then him and his sister are living and then they get traumatized and so there's this history of violence yes that is now multi-generationally and transmitted to him an invasion so yes but- and invasions so like both like in the world around them. Right. And then also like and taking. Tr- I was trying today to think of a greater invasion than eating somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably, you know, pe- people have different opinions. Yes. To That's be eaten is a pretty significant invasion. Yes. And he's sort of he's taken his whole life and his whole history yes. and he acts it out now. Yeah. Um Right. Yeah. And that whole that During of yeah. invasion, not only was his his family's home invaded, he was invaded. His sister was terribly invaded, mm-hmm. but all their belongings were taken. And so he had this horrible experience of everything he's had being taken from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then having that find out that I mean, the, the switch maybe was his sister being fed to him of like, ah, I mean, yeah. that would make you make your brain change. It'd probably. make your brain change, probably. And, and with Dexter, there's sort of like, which is where Deborah. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think she kind of is in some ways she's differentiated. Yeah, because she doesn't fit the mold for the women in his family. That's true. So Laura Mosier is sort of a mistress mm-hmm. to Harry um, and, and their mother. She's not really mm-hmm. in the story. She died. Yeah. Right. So. Deborah is like I'm. I'm fierce and I'm here. Yeah. And I'm loud and I'm not going to stay at home. Right. And she doesn't. And I'm smart. In her the first boyfriend they show us, she mm-hmm. doesn't stay with him. Mm-hmm. She's the other woman, like many of Dexter's yeah. female figures have been. The other woman to Harry. Yeah. And and Deborah won't be the other mm-hmm. woman. So it's it's really. But then, you know, and I don't know, I don't know what this is, but Deborah's sort of relationship with Lundy, what is that? Thank you for bringing him up. Is she, is she, you know, he's much older than her. Um, She, it's maybe safe to say he sort of reminds her of her dad. I don't really know. know. They're both in law enforcement. They're both very successful, dominant, older men. Right. Um, 
And yeah, and they and I agree with you. I'm not sure that it's a daddy thing. Like sometimes yeah. I jump to that because she, they had, and maybe it's just the character, the actors as well. They had really great chemistry. Yeah, and I never got the sense that she was like, "Hey, daddy." It was more like, "You're really smart, and I find you hot, and mm-hmm. you find me smart, and you have respect for me." And I don't think she was getting a lot of that yeah. from any of the people she was working with. And if you compare it um, to the relationship she has, I can't remember his name. Quinn. He's a musician. Oh. Not Quinn. He's a musician. He's undercover when she meets him. Oh, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember his so, name. So uh, is it Andre? I don't know. Or Dante? I don't know. So anyway, she's got that relationship yeah. with someone who's very sexy. Right? Yes. And very hip. And, yeah. and everything she probably wanted five years ago. Right. And she picks the older man who is who can't, you mm-hmm. know, can't do a lot of the same things that the younger guy can do with right. her because he's smart and he, he fulfills mm-hmm. her in this sort of sexual way because he's brilliant. Yes. So that shows a differentiation for mm-hmm. her, too. That's a change in her family pattern. That's true. That's true. And yeah, it's so interesting because, yeah. Part of me was like, did she did she also pick him because he was older? And it's like, well, this will never go anywhere. So this is, feels safe. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. But that. so there's so much of it. But I do, I do feel like part of her attraction to him and his to her was very much that they were equals. Like he treated mm-hmm. her as an equal. And I think she had not, she has not experienced a lot of that in the show up mm-hmm. until that point, particularly from her male counterparts who always perceived her as a threat. Right. And right. he did it. He was like, you're smart and we should mm-hmm. do this together. And he, yeah, he wants to collaborate right. with her. Yeah, they yeah. were great. I was really sad that he. Yeah, that he got shot. Mm. Yeah. And, and when Another you look traumatic at. Another traumatic loss for Deb. Yeah. And the, and the Arthur Mitchell family. Um, <sighs> yeah, it's, that's an interesting. It's like that's his daughter that shoots right. um, D- Deborah and. Yeah. The Lundy person. And so she came from sort of a family of major abuse and lack of yes. differentiation. Um, and and sort of like they all, when you watch, they all react the same yes. to everything <laughs> um, yeah. in the Arthur Mitchell family. So we're all very happy. Now we're all very scared. Yes. Now we're all protecting dad. Now we're all running from dad. Right. So and I, very... It's like a pack effect yes. to survive him. Yeah, that ego mass was yeah. very strong. Yeah. But they all sort of had that flat sort of, because mm-hmm. they're ter- they're living with... And terror. Yeah. Terror. So yeah. they're very shut down. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so good. And a lot of that's where family therapy would have been interesting. Yeah. Um, because they're also acting out. Right. Right. Explain a lot of times in family therapy, the under 18 people are really interesting to me. So the children, the teenagers, Mm -hmm. maybe the young adults, they sort of um, red flag without telling you directly that things are falling apart. (laughs) So someone's sneaking out, someone's doing drugs, someone we're red flagging that things are off here. Yeah. Um, And it's nobody. It's not necessarily anybody's fault Mm -mm. that they're off, but there's a flag. So and and Dexter sort of doesn't know how to pick up on these things. Mm -mm. So they come, you know, you know, it's not until the daughter the daughter hits on him. Yes. The son asks him to come to Thanksgiving so his dad doesn't kill him. It's like not until these really yeah. big things happen does he pick up on the danger. Yeah, there. like so. red alert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. Do you have any final thoughts? Um, I think. I guess my, my final thoughts are um, that, that we, as a society, we have empathy for these characters mm-hmm. because there's human pieces to them. That's, um, yes. And we believe in systems and we believe in family therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
both of us. So we could sort of have a lot of fun with it. Yes. Um, but also like with this, this greater idea of non-judgment and mm-hmm. empathy. Um, right. So I want our, our listeners to know that as we explore these characters yes. and explore this world of movie television. Um, well, and there's film, just nothing literature. that I think, I think part of why we're drawn to these characters too, is that one, I think they're fascinating because we sit and we're like, we could never do that. Like this is, mm-hmm. you know, and then you kind of see why they do it. And that, and, and I think it allows us to touch parts of ourselves that we can't, like age. we yeah. have a moral code. Mm-hmm. So like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, but those times where you've been so angry, you've wanted to hurt somebody and you don't. And then you watch that on on camera and you're like, okay, you know, it gives you a chance for me. I couldn't watch these. For example, it was harder for me to watch these shows when I was doing in-home family therapy mm-hmm. because I was seeing so much trauma and so much heartache and so much grief. I was like, I need mm-hmm. a comedy. Yeah. Something you know, to separate. Something to separate. Now that I'm away from it, it's a come back to something that I've really enjoyed. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I think it gives us that piece of like that part of ourselves that we, you know, it's like Mm-hmm. you know, we're going to explore this and nothing is black and white. I think that's the other piece is this, is that these characters are really, they're interesting. They're interesting. I, and I, kudos to the writers. Yeah, I mean, it's really amazing. Ama- yes, yeah. it is amazing. And I think, and sometimes the opposite, like a caveat to that is mm-hmm. like, um, sometimes watching Dexter as a practicing therapist is nice because I'm not like, I don't have to fix Dexter. Yes. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't have to fix anybody. But Dexter is, like, just, you know, he's not anyone I'm, I'm going to work right. with. I don't work with him. Right. So I can watch sort of his life unfold yeah. and him and him be resilient right. and him take care of it or not. Yeah. Um, but it's just nice yeah. sometimes, I think, to watch those outrageous things yes. that are so different than what we're actually going to encounter. Oh, my gosh. Right. And then we're voyeurs when we watch, yeah. right? We're, we're not responsible no. for what happens no. on the television. So, no. Um, whether I was a therapist or any other job, I might escape with this <laughs> sort yes. of crazy serial yeah. killer TV. It's been, yeah. and I think for me, my sensitivity was really coming out in that. Like, I just was yeah. like, I can't watch all this violence. I can't watch, not that I was seeing Dexter or Hannibal in my regular right. life as a no, therapist, but, but it was, it was for me, like the suspense to Dexter's very suspenseful. And mm-hmm. I think that was part of it for me. I'm like, I can't take the suspense. I'm done for the day. I can't do this anymore. Like, and now I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, suspense. I can do suspense now. So it's just, it's and interesting how you- need a break yeah too. right right and you're different very differentiated so right. you know which things to watch right as a therapist yeah and that's good for new therapists to think about too. it is um when I first started and, and Julia supervised mm-hmm. me through this but when I first I would get like immersed in sort of these mm-hmm. these big stories right. um and then it so if I'm I'm getting immersed in these stories of pain from clients and wanting to help them and then I'm watching these shows yeah. and then I'm reading these books yes <laughs> It's like too much. Yeah. Like, so I understand it's that, that self care. Like you, we could, yeah, we could have a podcast sometime about self care, but mm-hmm. like, I think that's, that's, and that's what it was for me at the time. I was like, I just it's too much. It's yeah. too much right now. So, and sometimes too, we look at our lives of like, we, um, there's, you know, also like losing parents or grandparents. There's mm-hmm. sometimes these times in our lives where we're grieving loss and it's like, I can't, this isn't something I can handle right now. Yeah. So there's that piece of it. But mm-hmm. yes, if you're a new student, you need to sometimes set aside the books and all the psychological television and just turn on something really stupid like The Bachelorette or something like that. Although mm-hmm. The Bachelorette is great fodder for functioning adults. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or something mindless. Yes. Mindless is good. Or, or something I learned is sometimes just to play a game yeah um and that's and that sort of ties in everything we've talked about today there's studies out there that say playing uh prevents these sort of (laughs) 
psychopathy behaviors. So play. <laughs> like the, the thing they find in common in a lot of prisons with people who've, who've gotten into a lot of trouble is that they didn't have a lot of play when yeah. they were really little. So that's, yeah, that's interesting. It is interesting. Yes. So play and watch Dexter and Hannibal. And yes. Listen to our podcast. Listen Learn to about our podcast. Theory. <laughs> Learn good theory. Yeah. And uh, this was really, really fun. Yes. I'm so excited. Yes, I am too. Yes. So uh, we're going to wrap up our first podcast tonight. And so you can find us um, on, on Twitter. We do have a Twitter handle and it's at uh, Couch Characters and it's capital C for Couch, capital C for Characters. And I think we're going to have an email account mm-hmm. and that will likely be couchofcharacters at gmail.com so you can email us and uh, you'll find this podcast released on iTunes sometime in the next month. Yes. Okay. Madeline, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Julia. Yay. Thank you.